This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Nick Scheist, and this is episode one, season one, of Bad Movies We Love. It's kind of a backwards way of doing it, but this was all part of a different show at one point, so we're bringing it over and putting it on here with the real new theme music and the new show format. So bear with me as I retcon all of the season one episodes over to season two. I don't think retcon is the right word, but I'm going to use it here with confidence anyway. And I will be bringing all of the season one episodes over one by one as I continue to work on new episodes for season two. For the real inaugural episode of Bad Movies We Love, I was joined by friend of the show and Scheist International Film Club cohort, Donald Langley. And the audio is not quite where I wanted it to be at the time, but we make do to talk about his pick for bad movies we love, and that is 1989's Roadhouse. go we are recording okay so thank you for being here uh My pleasure to everybody that is listening this is going to be the first episode of the bad movies we love <laughs> version of this podcast i'm joined today by a new friend who i guested on uh, his podcast last week and his name is Donald Langley. Uh, so say hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing good. And I mean, you and I had this conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in the movie group together. Mm-hmm. So we started, you know, kind of talking about an idea I had. And I pitched you like, hey, give me a handful of movies that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about uh, or that you think we may want to bring in to this particular episode. And of the list that you gave me, I picked Roadhouse because Roadhouse. I felt it was the most topical, but we'll get to that later. But why don't you tell me what it is about Roadhouse that initially got it into this conversation? Yeah, you you cho- you said choose three films and uh, and you you gave me the concept, you know, bad movies we love. So immediately my head went to like movies that uh, were panned by by critics for one thing, not really by other people, but. You know, I went to thinking about movies that I actually liked, not necessarily I thought they were bad, and I liked them because we all have those movies we we know are bad, but we still like them anyway. And but my mind went straight to films that I think you know I really like, but it got panned. And then I started, you know, Roadhouse came up, uh, uh, straight to horror for one thing. A, a film mm-hmm. called Cherry Falls came up in my mind, but that movie is a, a bad a bad movie. I I, I love it, but. So then that got me thinking, he's like, you know what? I haven't seen Roadhouse since I was young. And I watched it a metric ton when I was a kid. It was always on TV. I uh, don't remember 
reading it, my stepdad reading it, I think it was, I was about seven or eight when it came out. But uh, so but then I was like, I might have accidentally chosen this movie. I might not like it now. I better watch it real quick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I, I, I rewatched it and it fits this perfectly because I don't love the movie, but I really, really enjoyed it. Even watching it now, you know, as, as a 40 year old compared to a seven year old. Um, and I don't think it's as bad as the, the, that is, is what people say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that's fair. And I also didn't, uh, I hadn't seen this since childhood as well. And it was kind of, mm-hmm. it's one of those movies that would have been on movies for guys who like movies. I don't know if oh, it yeah, was, yeah. What, I don't know what station that was, but it was all this kind of like eighties action hero stuff. And my memory of this movie is so much different than the movie that I experienced when I watched it last night um, that I think I enjoyed it more in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely had an eye out for like, here are the things that if I were going to say this is a bad movie, here's all the reasons uh, why I would say it's a bad movie. But uh, I had a blast watching it. I I was like, this movie is absolutely crazy uh in all the best like mid to late 80s kind of ways um and so i am a little surprised uh, but when we talked about it uh this movie has a metacritic score of uh 36 Mm -hmm. uh so 3.6 out of 10 uh and it has a tomato meter score among critics of uh 37 percent. so 37 (laughs) percent of rotten uh, rotten tomatoes critics gave this a positive review but uh by by any metric those are not good numbers and even the audience score for roadhouse is low but it's Mm -hmm. at least positive and it's comparable i mean it's basically on the same level of it's 6.6 that it has on imdb um but yeah, so there's a huge disparity between mm-hmm. what this movie, I think, has in enjoyability versus what it has in quality. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into that. But first, I'm going to screen share this and we're going to we're going to watch the trailer because I've never seen the trailer. Yeah, I've never seen the trailer either. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. Before we get to the trailer, I want to let all my listeners know that this episode of the Scheist Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Stellar Future Radio, part of the Stellar News Network. Broadcasting from the far reaches of Jupiter's orbit, your news allocator Roy has all your news from the heart of the outer colonies, such as the latest results from the Monarch Mech League, all the drama in galactic fashion, cautionary tales about gene-splicing megalodon DNA, traffic reports, and plenty of other juicy tidbits from the data conglomerate. Look how the tables have turned. You can find Stellar Future Radio on all the ancient socials and podcast providers, and you can learn more about SFR at StellarFutureRadio.com. That's StellarFutureRadio.com. Let's go. Try not to say Roadhouse in the Family Guy way a hundred times. Oh, that's loud. That's that's this movie should be loud. (laughs) Guess not. Patrick Swayze is Dalton. I thought you'd be bigger. Opinions vary. When he's around, anything can happen. How's a guy like you end up a bouncer? Just lucky, I guess. And usually does. 
If somebody gets in your face, I want you to be nice. Don't talk! Don't be rude! Ask him to walk, but be nice. Help this gentleman to the door. Until it's time to not be nice. So says the fighting philosopher. <laughs> he may be hard to handle. I keep talking, you're gonna go off thinking I'm a nice guy. I know you're not a nice guy. But he's easy to like. What's the matter, Dalton? Don't you like women? Worst I ever had was wonderful. He's not what you'd expect. I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> but there's one thing you can count on. He's the best friend a good time ever had. Aren't you guys tired? Doc, I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. This is my town. I'm not afraid of him. I guess you'll be having that fire sale now, all right? <laughs> Just your hands full, kid. I just think I'm looking at a dead man. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. For that line of work, I thought you'd be bigger. Gee, I've never heard that before. Roadhouse. Okay. <laughs> so based on that, I mean, it definitely like hits its selling points of uh, fist fights, mm -hmm. uh, bar life, uh, some comedy, some romance. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I was most surprised that like it's much bigger than that. It's almost two films. When I initially sat down with it and I pushed play and I was like, this movie's two hours in 1989. Yes. I'm like, that's yeah. really long. And so there was a point where I came and like I paused it around like the midway point. It's like, I'm like, all right, I still have an hour to go. Mm -hmm. And that first hour of the movie is basically what you see in the trailer. Yeah. And then the second half of the movie is like, okay, now there's like this other kind of story brewing of this uh, gangster kind of and he runs the town and then all of a sudden it's like shit's exploding and <laughs> Bigfoot a, makes an appearance yeah, there's a monster truck which <laughs> when it shows up in the movie I'm like what the fuck is this guy doing driving a monster truck I was like this is completely out of context uh, and then you know 20-30 minutes later I'm like okay well now I understand why the monster truck is here uh, but yeah the trailer alone is like it's just banking on Patrick Swayze being Patrick Swayze yeah. at the height of his popularity and putting him in like a super macho role. Uh, I don't know. What did you think watching this? Uh, what is what you said made a ton of sense. The It is a long, long movie for this time or when movies were out then. And I want to, I don't remember it being that long for one. And I think I know it's because I'm used to the, the version that was on TV all the time. So it was, edited like crazy because there are there's nudity there's lots of nudity in this there's film. a I, lot of it and i didn't remember that while re-watching this Me a either. couple of days ago so i'm like okay well that <laughs> that makes sense that that got cut out um i'm trying it seems like there was a lot of other stuff cut out uh, that i missed as a kid but you know watching that trailer it's, it's definitely feels like you, you see a lot of the first half of the film in that um i, I felt like the two parts was Everything going on with Dalton and, and the fighting and, uh, you know, Wesley, the the, the, the kingpin of the, the town or what have you. And then you had the love story that was kind of shoehorned in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the trailer that I would want to go see that 
if I was a, like a, you know, at this age I am now, if I would have been this age back then, uh, I, without watching the trailer, I read that it, they tried to make the trailer appeal to his Dirty Dancing fans, so women mainly, and I mm-hmm. didn't get that at all watching that trailer. I thought that that would look like a guy movie to me. For sure. As uh, as I was watching this last night, my girlfriend, she tapped out like probably before halfway through. She was tired. She's like, I'm going to sleep. I'm like, no worries. Like we had we had actually just seen uh, I think it was some anniversary showing of Dirty Dancing in theaters. Um, so it's like, all right, I'm, I was very recently exposed to like the superstar Patrick Swayze mm-hmm. and his character and his performance here is actually very close I would say to what we see in Dirty Dancing but when uh when I talked to her about it today she asked me like so how did you like it watching mm-hmm. it again and I said it's fistfights uh <laughs> and titties for the guys <laughs> yeah. and it's Patrick Swayze shirtless and sweaty for the ladies because you know, there's a scene where he's uh, he's like warming up uh, his his striking drills or whatever in the in the barn, and he's yeah. dripping sweat. And there's the scene of him like doing tai chi out uh, on oh, the God. lakefront. Yeah. And so naturally, of course, all the women want him when he shows up in this small town. And it just mm-hmm. happens to be that the woman that he's interested in also happens to be the love interest of the villain in this story so it's all you know very convenient for that to unfold that way right, yeah um but yeah this is definitely uh a guy's flick and like you said there is uh there's a lot of nudity in this movie <laughs> yeah i didn't i was calling by um, surprise yeah because i think i had just watched it on tv so all mm-hmm. this was edited out so we probably saw like a 90 minute version of this movie um, and I was like, wow, there's a, a surprising amount of nudity. And mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in reality, I would say it's probably gratuitous cause it's just there for the sake of being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the scene that really highlights that is late in the movie, probably the last half hour or so the villain guy, uh, Wesley, basically just like makes his wife get up on stage at the bar and like strip dance for really no yeah, apparent reason yeah, yeah just like get up there take your clothes off try and seduce Swayze but not even really uh so yeah it's just I mean I'm not gonna complain too much because <laughs> I'm mean, like it's, okay it's, it's, it kind of fits though right with that culture that bar culture I've definitely walked into a, a bar I didn't know haven't been to before and there was a wet t-shirt contest going on and, and i want them so that's something that happened so it, some of that wasn't out of place but that wouldn't no, you mentioned yeah that, that was a weird weird one it's a weird thing for this guy to do to his uh his wife um i guess but, i mean that fits his character i guess he is you know he's, he, he he's just a wants great to piss Noel off. he is he's yeah and i like the uh, director mentioned a lot of he wanted him kind of be cartoonish in that way. Like he, the director said he put a lot of red colors around him mm. with the car he drives and I think some of the, the, the clothes that his goons wear. I, but yeah, I thought he was, he was a good good bad guy. Yeah, Ben Gazzara. He reminded me of like an evil Sam Neill. Um, hmm. But that, that early scene where he's like driving on the road, just like swerving between both, oh. like, both lanes of traffic. 
just not a care in the world just drives the other guy off the road that was definitely uh, a scene that could have been <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> i'm just like um, what is happening here i'm like i guess it's like the first time that like him and swayze actually like cross paths so it kind of like shows that it's like you got swayze driving his like uh you know shitbox car that he bought mm-hmm. for a few hundred bucks because he knows it's going to get destroyed uh mm-hmm. and this other guy driving like his top of the line mustang convertible and just like oh i own the road i don't have a care in the world so it's like very <laughs> interesting to show like the two different kinds of characters in that moment yeah, but i i guess you, you kind of got the same thing from him flying the helicopter over emmett's you know horses and stuff you kind of got yeah. oh he's an ass okay <laughs> just being a prick for the sake of being a prick and just because right? he can yeah. Yeah. i will say uh since i was just talking about character uh patrick swayze doesn't have one in this movie you don't uh, think so not i mean like he does like he's he's obviously got like a pretty solid like moral compass for like Mm -hmm. how this movie unfolds and how uh the story of what's going on in the town plays into that Mm -hmm. but i think there's a point where he and the doctor have retreated to his barn and they're about to i think hook up for the first time and she just has like one line of dialogue that like says like this is like who i am my background what happened to me why i'm here and i got more character explanation from her in that brief sentence than swayze had had the entire film up to that point mm-hmm. all, all we know is that like he's for some reason a super famous bouncer because <laughs> that's somebody that gets famous in the late 80s i guess <laughs> he's a cooler yeah, he's a cooler, but he has a he has a crazy reputation where everybody knows him on a single name basis, like Prince or Madonna or Denzel, and we know that he has a philosophy degree from NYU. Yep. Yep. Uh, but they never explain why he went to NYU, why he got a philosophy degree, how he ended up in the job that he's in. It's just oh, just lucky, I'm guess. So it's like they just <laughs> glance past all of that and don't give him like any character foundation whatsoever. It says a lot about him as a performer that a lot of that basically doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, that he's able to like still be charismatic and still mm-hmm. hit the points of that character, like I said, the moral compass, and still basically point true north with that character, even though he doesn't have any of this stuff. Like you know, he's got some history with the uh, his other bouncer friend that's played by Sam Elliott, yep. uh, and you know, obviously, like something went wrong that landed him in this position you know he's educated enough to have gone to nyu and you know that he has uh like he's a thinking man in a world of brawlers right so like that's kind of like just the broad strokes like we'll we'll just drop you there and you're never going to get answers to really any of these questions at any point and i'm Uh, i was okay with that i mean that this movie a lot reading uh, a lot of reviewers or critics they keep mentioning um westerns and westerns got a lot of their influence from uh samurai films which i i love the old the lone wolf and cub films the uh, zatoichi films of course kurosawa yojimbo and sanjiro that this movie is a samurai film that's what this is he's a he's a you know the, the samurai for hire and it's yeah as i was watching ball it world. As I was watching it, I was like, this definitely like feels like a Western to me. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, a little bit more contemporary than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go, let me see if I can grab the scene here in the beginning and see if we can. It's the three rules. Uh, three, yeah. 
his three rules. So let's listen to these three rules, and then I'm going to uh, have a comment on this because it gets it gets blown up almost right away after he says it. Uh, <laughs> People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. We've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many uh, 40-year-old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. And that sure sounds good. But a lot of the guys who come in here, we can't handle one-on-one. Even two-on-one. Don't worry about it. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One. Never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. (laughs) Come on. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Okay. (laughs) Ask him to walk. Be nice. If you won't walk, walk him, but be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. I want you to remember that it's a job. It's nothing personal. Uh-huh. And called a cocksucker in personal? No. It's two nouns combined to elicit a prescribed response. <laughs> I wonder if somebody called my mama a whore. Is she? (laughs) I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. All right, I think that's good enough for what I need out of it. Um, So he's he's, uh, basically saying, like, pacify the situation. Um, That's a good sound bridge right there at the end of that scene. Where it says take out the trash, and then you immediately hear Jeff Healy's band kick in while you're still watching that scene. That's a really good uh, sound bridge shot. Uh, it is. That was actually a great band. Um, I, yeah, my, I, I, I was aware of Jeff Healy before this. My, my stepdad listened to that. Their first album came out like the year before this movie, and he listened to it all the time. I, I really like Jeff Healy. So you can answer me this. Is he really blind? Yes. Yeah, I was like, okay, he looks like he's actually blind and he playing was, yeah. brawl. He was um, blind yeah. when he was one year one year old. He had mm. eye cancer. Yep. Well, the music in this movie is fantastic, but is. that's not what I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, <laughs> what I wanted to point out was he, as he's telling them to pacify the situation, like the first uh, glimpse that we get at him before he takes this job and shows up here uh, at this new bar, he gets uh, knifed and stitches it up himself and i think there's a comment somewhere it's like well what if the guy has a knife and uh he gives some like flippant comment but the scene after this a guy comes in and he tells one of his cronies to like just deal with it he's like all right now's the time to you know do your job Mm -hmm. and the guy whips out a knife and he's still just like well you have to handle that and it's like for a guy who got stabbed in like the opening part of the movie sorry he got sliced he didn't get stabbed but he's very cavalier about the danger of a knife-wielding opponent, and he he, sends one of his new employees directly into the line of fire uh, uh, after uh, his introduction as their boss. The the knife, as soon as the knife came out, he intervened. He came up behind him and grabbed his wrist. 
So he told the guy, he was telling the guy to get the girl down off the table, or be nice and ask the dude to get the lady off the table. He does it nicely, but the guy pushes him. He looks back at Dalton. Dalton kind of nods to him right there. I thought, like, how does he know what that nod means? <laughs> if, yeah. Because it looked like he was going to fight him. But anyways, he tried it again, and then the guy swung on him and then, then pulled the knife out. And then the camera shows a close-up of his hand with the knife, and you just see Dalton grabs his wrist right away and slams his face <laughs> into the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Breaks the table in half and kicks him out. So it seems like as soon as the guy pulled a knife, okay, now it's real. And that's, I, I heard a lot of, people saying that he breaks his rules a lot and later he breaks the rules when wesley is in the bar and egging him on because that's part of his character breaking down um but before that like no he when the guy pulls a knife it's time to get real like you can't you can't try to take it outside then so i i thought he handled it like his character said he would yeah, so I'm curious if it's like his plan was to use uh, the other guy as like a human shield or distraction in that moment mm-hmm. and intervene like as it got more serious or he just has such cat-like reflexes that once he put this other guy in danger of getting stabbed that he sprung into action and grabbed his arm uh, before it got out of hand so he could slam his face through the table. <laughs> Put the table on that. <laughs> yeah, that guy's got major CTE after that. Um, there's good scenes like that where mm-hmm. it's maybe it's not the most plausible but it works for what the movie wants to do because like the movie uh, it's not pretentious in the way that it's like it's not trying to take itself too seriously especially not at this stage in the film Mm -hmm. uh as it gets uh a little bit later it, it starts to amp up in intensity so i think like that transition towards the end of the movie uh, is a little bit more forgivable in that way mm-hmm. but in watching this i'm like seriously like not a single person ever had a gun in any of these instances like nobody went right. to their car and came back and got a gun i mean maybe i'm just like cynical because of like what i see now mm-hmm. but it's like this is a bunch of like really violent drunk people not not anyone nobody's coming back in with a baseball bat or anything they could just kind of take it out on the you know the the junker car that he ends up uh <laughs> buying for the specific purpose of being the target um mm-hmm. so i like some of the subtle stuff there where it's like you don't understand why he's getting the car at first and then it's yeah. like you find out that he comes out after work and the car is trashed and so there's mm-hmm. the scene where he drives to the junkyard and picks up some tires and so there's actually a lot of like clever uh clues being dropped before it gets to the point of like this is why this is happening um because he we see him in a mercedes so it's like why is he buying like this piece of crap so i like that they took the time to like make that uh an actual or make that come to fruition um his car does get trashed what like several times in the movie though (laughs) yeah and he always just shrugs it off yeah it's like i don't know what happens it's like he drives it again i don't see the same damage the next time so i mean he's got like a good repairman that he trusts that gives him a good discount he's like look i'm gonna be a regular customer i'm gonna have my windshield smashed in uh several times so i hope you're just uh ready to come help me out <laughs> i noticed the, the hole is still there in the windshield whenever the two goons yeah. come to tell dalton that wesley wants to see him and they come to pick him up he's laying on top of his car for some and so yeah he's like he's, he knows he knows they're coming because it's <laughs> and in there's the a script. hole there yeah yeah exactly so uh, the, the hole is still there in the windshield on that one and you mentioned his repairman like i didn't know it's the guy who is he was in elvis's memphis mafia oh wow. west, west red red west 
it was funny. We just watched the Elvis movie a couple days ago, and there's a scene in it where it's you know the the scene where it's like Elvis' life becomes a movie, and then he's going through his, uh, I guess, tour bus or his bus or whatever, and introducing part of that Memphis Mafia, and there's Red Wet. They he is a character in that movie. That's a that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, I, I I just found that out earlier today, like because I was looking at the, these casts, and seeing if I remember them from other things. Um, speaking of know, the, sorry, speaking of the uh, cast cameos, Keith David has a, a very yeah. small role for him as the bartender. I'm like, hey, look at yeah, that! Yeah. Did not remember this at all. Yeah, um, I like Kelly Lynch. I don't think I don't think that whole love part of that was should have been in this film i didn't think it was needed at all um i like her from a drugstore cowboy is and the show uh mr mercedes based off the stephen king books she's really creepy in that show um as far as uh gazara ben zara what's his name wesley the character uh, that plays wesley ben zara oh uh, yeah i'm not too familiar. I know some of the things he's been in, but I don't think I haven't seen any of those films that he was in. I will agree with you that the uh, the love story, the love story between him and Kelly Lynch just doesn't really make sense. Um, I would I have mean, much rather it been Kathleen Wilhoyt, her character, the 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 goofy, she's the, the waitress, yeah. She, that, they and they said they had she had a ton more scenes that they got cut. Most of them got cut. And she, I liked her character a lot. I wish she would have been the love interest. I thought yeah, that would it, cool. It would have made more sense for the way they set it up too, because mm-hmm. she's the first person to really like take an interest in him at the mm-hmm. bar. Yeah. But it's like she's the nerd that isn't gonna get the guy. But when she shows up uh to his place with breakfast for some <laughs> odd reason, um, I'm like, okay, they're like setting the stage for that uh yeah. to unfold later. Uh, and then he goes to the doctor and it's just like, okay, we're in love with each other right now. Yeah. But he he invites her to the bar to buy her a cup of coffee. And then she's like, all right, well, like, I'm not 100% sure. But of course, she shows up and she walks into him in the middle of a gigantic brawl. Right. And then it's not like that's a problem or anything, (laughs) even though she lectured him about his lifestyle when they first met. And then so she walks in, she's like, "Okay, it is really violent. And then she's like, oh, no, it's cool. And (laughs) it's just like, nope, she's just smitten with him at that point. And uh, it's Patrick Swayze. Exactly. (laughs) Swayze gets the ladies. So I I understand that. Um, And I don't want to like fast forward too much to the end if we don't have to. But I I don't think I'm going to remember to like circle back to it. So anyway, at the end. He gets into a fight with the right-hand man of the villain, who's basically like shadow version of Patrick Swayze. He's got <laughs> the darker hair and the darker clothes, and he wears a shark tooth around his neck because he probably <laughs> fought a shark or some shit. <laughs> um, and uh, so he's like opposite Patrick Swayze. And so they fight, and Swayze ends up uh, killing him at the end. Honestly. And Kelly Lynch runs over and she like sees that this has happened and she's disgusted. Yeah. And she's like, just get away from me. There's no dialogue between them. And then the next time we see her isn't until the finale of, uh, or the climax of the film with, uh, in Wesley's house. Mm -hmm. And she has, I think she just screams no from the staircase. And uh, again, someone ends up dead in this situation. (laughs) And, 
now she disappears until we see the final like uh riding off into the sunset scene where it's like <laughs> nope her and swayze are fine they're they're skinny dipping in the pond together yeah. and everything's, <laughs> everything's perfectly fine so it's like it's just completely incongruent with uh the character behavior that they've already set up at this point and i think they just like cornered themselves and they're like mm-hmm. uh, we don't know what to do with the with like how she's going to react because it's like this guy had a gun she hears the gunshot uh and he defends himself but he does so in a gruesome throat ripping fashion yes uh, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and so i don't awesome. yeah it was great i don't know <laughs> if it's the the act of the the killing the guy and like just kicking him into the lake afterwards or if it was the the fact that he like throat ripped him so savagely to kill him but she's like at that point the above yeah so it makes sense that she's like oh this is gross like you didn't have to kill this guy so maybe she misinterprets the situation he's like no i did have to kill him and like we'll cross that bridge when we have to reconcile but they never cross that bridge and then she she just walks in on another homicide and she's just "Eh, okay well now that these guys are out of our lives i guess we're not gonna I guess the situation is not going to happen again. So, <laughs> you know what? We can go forward with our lives at this point and be happy. Um, but s- since I was talking about the end, I want to go to, let me, s- I want to make sure I get the right clip though, because mm-hmm. as I watched it, I was like, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me, I got to grab it here. It's the fight between him and I, I don't remember the, the character's name. Is it Billy? Jimmy? I think it's Jimmy, the shadow Patrick Swayze. Oh, I'll just call him Jose Canseco. He does look like Jose Canseco. I was trying to place him. I was like, he looks so familiar, but I can't. The black mullet and the, the no sideburns. And I just, I'll just call him Jose Canseco. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think this will take us all the way through the throat rip. Um, but it's the very beginning where this scene picks up right here that had me uh, asking questions. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. Excuse me? <laughs> this was a line of dialogue in this movie? <laughs> this I was not expecting. No. At no. all. No, no, it was not. <laughs> yeah, let's go back. We're going to hear that one more time. Yeah. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. That's right. You heard it. <laughs> There's so many lines like like that in this film, but then they save the best for yeah there's another one with sam elliott i think i have the i think i have the clip somewhere so i might be able to grab the audio or i can i can screen share it but yeah i was like whoa like is this really like the the one-liner that they thought it was when they wrote it or were they trying to like give this guy some unnecessary backstory by showing that not only has he been in prison but he's a prison rapist as well <laughs> yeah i was sad because i kind of ruined that part for me of course i didn't remember that 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 was in the movie i think looking at the movie when i was trying to see movies for this this topic i saw that that line showed up somewhere so i knew it was in the movie and i was like man mm-hmm. i wish i wouldn't have known that because that would have got that big surprise. Yeah, like my, my look on my face, I'm like, what? Did I just hear what I think I heard? I'm like, that's uh, that's not something you expect in a oh, action movie at all. I, I didn't know the line was coming from Terry Funk, who is awesome. Uh, Terry Funk's uh, awesome. I actually have history seeing him wrestle live. But he, uh, he says, uh, you know, I heard you had balls big enough to come in a dump truck. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's that's during uh, Dalton's introduction, right? Yeah. When we first meet him. That one I didn't know was coming, and that caught me off guard. And that was towards the beginning of the movie. So I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Homoeroticism going on here? Definitely. They're like, look, Squeezy can get the ladies, he can get the fellas. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, this is the other one I'm going to post. The, I, when Sam Elliott uh, first shows up at the, what's it called? The, the Double Deuce? Double Deuce. The Double Deuce. Hey, hey. And at this point, Terry Funk has switched sides, yeah. and they just don't really address that at all. Okay, Jim, take a break. He's, he's better as a heel, anyway. He is. But considering he used to work for this bar, there's not even a, an inkling of a conversation that, hey, <laughs> uh, I see you're working for them now, or you know, something simple like that. Yeah. And I like that this like eight-foot-tall guy here just like keeps smashing bottles in the background. <laughs> He's not, he's not helping in the fight at all. He's just like smashing stuff. And I like the fight scenes, man. It's, like it's, it's got that realism to it where like, yeah, that's kind of like a bar fight. Yeah, I like that they uh, they definitely throw body shots here. It, it's not just uh, stylish stuff. I mean, he does like that that spinning uh, roundhouse kick roundhouse. A, little, a little too much, <laughs> but he goes to the body when it's important. Yeah. Yeah, so you invest in the body. Yep. How's it going, Mio? Yep. Sam Elliott just walks out here like, nah, we're, we're, we're cool. <laughs> this line right here. You want to fight, dickless? I sure ain't going to show you my dick. <laughs> I don't think that was ever in question. <laughs> That's yeah, something that, that his character, uh, <laughs> his character in his head is thinking like, you know what? I may want to show this guy my dick. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Might as well just finish out the fight scene. There's only this little piece left. Yeah. See, I, I, the fights have that hint of... A little bit of realism that people really, they really don't know how to fight like you know but there is like you can sell there's some chore choreography to it and, which is awesome because they had a, a like a, a guy who was like a 10th degree black belt in every single style of fighting on set doing the choreography and he tried to convince patrick swayze to actually start kickboxing because he said swayze would actually be really good at it uh, he's in, in watching it. I'm like, okay, he actually has good punching technique. His kicking technique is not very strong at all. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they felt the need to like make that a, a central part of his character. Like they could have eliminated mm -hmm. all the kicks and still had him like beating everybody up. But I think they wanted yeah. like the extra. They look uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the foreign nature of like, oh man, he's throwing spinning kicks and stuff. Yeah. He must know kung fu or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, so sort of the exotic nature of kicks uh, during the '80s, really, because it's like who else was like throwing kicks other than like Bruce Lee and stuff mm -hmm. that was coming from other countries. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you know they planted that in there, but in some of the kicks he throws, I'm like, that's not hurting nobody. It's not even stopping <laughs> the guy from punching you. Uh, but you know, I watch real fighting, so it's. 
it's always like I go back and I see this stuff and I'm like, I was like, this would never work. Like that's not a quality punch right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so it's like, I've, I've ruined a, probably a lot of action movies for me at this point. Um, is there, I know you said you had some questions that uh, you had maybe written down or taken notes on. I do have some notes too, but I don't remember what I've gone through. So I'm going to pull that up. I, think, I thought it'd be kind of cool to mention, you know, we mentioned the scores of Metacritic score and the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score. The kind of some of the things that they were saying that, you know, maybe you agree with them or maybe you don't, you know, some of them kind of harsh about this. And this movie was nominated for almost every category of those stupid Razzie award things. Mm-hmm. Like every uh, category it has, this movie was nominated for. I'm like, it's, not that bad (laughs) even watching it now it's an entertaining film but they have Swayze exhibits virtually no charisma like well charisma by definition is compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others like that is what Dalton is in this movie that's it's a different you know it's not the dirty dancing character as as a kid like I kind of could look up to what you know Dalton's rules that he had you know be nice to people but take up for yourself and then in, and then in, in the movie he's fighting for a whole town you know to rid it of tyranny of this this kingpin guy so I'm like he had I think he has charisma by definition I would say if you had to pick one defining characteristic of the character it would be charisma it's like the thing yeah. that he's got going for yeah. him in this role it's the reason that the movie is watchable i think you put a lesser actor in this role and this is the kind of like b movie that goes like straight to video and is probably still a cult classic for the reasons that we like it but it would have never been the kind of hit that it was uh aside from that and i see one of the reviews here that says can swayze sustain a lead role yes can he sustain roadhouse no so I think, I mean, of all the things in this movie, he is by far the most watchable thing. I mean, yeah. there's explosions and stuff that's fun, yeah. but he's exceedingly watchable in the lead. And I think that's why, why you see the disparity between uh, like what its audience score and what its uh, critic score is. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I seen the critics saying, um, or they're talking about Wesley, they say he's a pig, but the problem is Dalton doesn't come across all that much better. I, and then because they were referring to yeah, he actually killed the guy I mean, well, that's just that's part of his character you know falling so low but then at the end he rede- you know he doesn't kill the, the next guy so it all makes sense to me that the, the little the small little journey that the character goes through it's I don't know. I, I I just don't agree with some of the some of the things they were saying. Yeah, it's um, similar to like what Nick Cage's character is in uh, Con Air, where it's like he did kill a guy, mm-hmm. but it's self defense. Yeah. He mm-hmm. goes to jail for it, uh, and probably is you know not shouldn't be in jail uh, like with the sentence that he has in that situation. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's like the character's like moral core is solid and yeah. I, you, you still get that here with Swayze so yeah, he had like, a gun in his face <laughs> yeah like what's he gonna do and so like yeah. it happens again like you pull a gun on me and I'm ripping your throat out yeah, okay exactly, like, yeah. so I think maybe it's <laughs> the gruesome nature of the kill because it's like uh, okay I I blocked the gun from shooting me yeah and then I didn't like knock him out or take the gun or anything I tore his throat out yeah and that, that, that I like 
I actually like that in a character. It reminds me of like one of my favorite all-time fictional characters is Ender or Andrew Wiggins from the, the uh, Ender's Game books. Mm-hmm. Um, he, one of the things, it shows in the movie too, where, you know, he has, he beats the, you know, his opponent senseless or beats them down all the way where they can never attack him again. Like, it makes sense. It does. Um, I will say, I also felt that the way that the movie was paced, despite it being two hours, mm-hmm. was excellent. Like, I never yeah. felt like I was bored for a second. Yeah. Uh, I never felt like, even even though I had questions and I'm like, there's, there's some substance and some context that I'm not uh, getting here that I feel should be here. <laughs> like, it's moving too fast. They're like, you got to forget about that and just get on yeah, board. Yeah. Like, we're going to give you another bar brawl right now. So you got to be ready for this brawl to break out. Uh, and we're just going to keep barreling right ahead. And we get to the point where like into the second half of the movie, okay, they, uh, they torch reds, uh, tool shop or mm-hmm. the, 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 his friend spot. And there's a gigantic explosion. I'm like, okay, like that's a pretty large scale explosion for yeah. this movie that I wasn't expecting. That's one thing to just have the place burn down, but for them to have it subsequently explode after that, that's a little surprising. Yeah. Um, but I like that they went like full bore with the explosions. They didn't hold back with the pyrotechnics. Like they really yeah, blew. Awesome. They really blew this building up. Yep. Uh, and it's great to see real explosions uh, yep. in movies. It definitely does something for the film that fake CGI explosions don't. And it's hard to it's hard to put it into words. But there's a tangibility of like we built this building. Uh, or we bought this building and we're going to demo it. And we really only have one shot. We only have one opportunity to get the shot that we want for this movie. So it's like there's a lot riding on that moment where they actually blow it up. And that's important. Like the fact that you can now just be like, all right, well, we're going to like have a fake fire and fake explosion and all this. And like, we'll just imply. But the reaction between the people that are on set and the uh, the actors and the camera is drastically different when something actually blows up. And that's huge in filmmaking. And I understand like maybe it's not uh, really the most effective production strategy to like have to blow things up all the time, but it is great when it happens. And I'm glad that this movie went back to it at the end. They're like, look, we're lighting another house on fire. And for some reason that house will also explode. It's like, the, <laughs> I don't know, like it, there were like, it, uh, like loaded with ammo in there or fireworks or something. But I don't think either of these buildings really should have just exploded for no reason. Yeah. Or the, the uh, car getting shot with the shot, the car going through yeah. the air and he's shooting with the shotgun and the car explodes. It's, mm-hmm. it's so cool. I'm yeah, glad. Yeah. I'm glad they uh, they they really got a good uh, practical VXF team. Yeah. V. I said that right. Uh, they got a good team together <laughs> for this, and they spent time and money and expertise uh, pulling some of those shots off as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me see. I don't know. The monster truck scene is not going to really play that well. Uh, yeah, if we just if we just, just do the audio. Yeah. Um, but yes, that monster truck that we talked about a little bit earlier in this episode, uh, it makes an appearance later as the villain Wesley has one of his cronies, whoever his 
whoever's car this is, I don't even know their name. They're just a <laughs> faceless henchman, basically. But they show up to the auto dealership uh, of somebody in town who's paying Wesley protection money. So it's basically, you know, gangster business. Mm-hmm. And he's so offended uh, that some of these people do not want to uh, get in line with him since Patrick Swayze has come to town. He decides to remind them by having his friend's monster truck go into the uh, Cadillac showroom and just demolish every car in the showroom. And this is a shot where they may have had a real showroom, but I mean, he breaks through like an actual window. They they pancake a bunch of cars with this monster truck. And it's a crazy scene. And in like reading about this, you see the way that they're uh, behaving, you see the way that Wesley is behaving, like as this scene is being shot, and after all these cars are smashed, like he's having a blast, like he's laughing his ass off. Because uh, I saw someone said it looks like this is one of those shots where you only get the one shot at it, yeah. and the actors in it are like, I can't believe we're doing a stunt that's like this crazy, that is mostly out of context like we don't know that this person owns the dealership at this point mm-hmm. we don't we haven't really met the the owner of the dealership so we don't have a relationship to him mm-hmm. um so it's just like hey we're at a car dealership oh apparently this guy is also uh paying wesley protection and uh maybe he missed a payment or something but oh well sorry we're gonna pancake your whole inventory and now he's definitely really not gonna be able to pay you that 10 percent because yeah. you just smashed all his cars <laughs> <laughs> the semantics man semantics i i love the you know all the explosions the practicality of everything even to uh being a horror person the uh the gore and the throat ripping it, it all looks you know there's, there's real there was no cgi for every thing every time we get blood or something in a movie nowadays it seems like it's it's cgi uh you know we still have some great you know directors that love to blow things up and you know realistically like you know michael bay is still out there doing his thing but yeah and that's part of the reason why i enjoy it so much like every i can stand up on a soapbox for say being annoyed with cgi and for me it's just when you have these these act you're trying to tell me a story as a storyteller and that's essentially what a director is it's a storyteller visually uh, you put these characters in a space, and everything in that space is supposed to be realistic to them in that space. When you start inserting CGI, whether fi- CGI fire is one of the most terrible-looking things I've seen. Um, when you start putting in these fake things in this environment with those characters, my brain just can't process that. It looks so fake. It's like, um, same thing with the blood and gore if, if it's if i can my brain can see that 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 gore and, and blood is not in that same real space as that character it, i think it shows a lack of caring for your art yeah that, that, may, that may be harsh and i don't expect everyone to think that way that's just my views on it and if if you don't care enough for your art to to make to visually tell me a story in in the real way then i don't care enough about your movie or yeah, your, think- your story I think what we've seen in that regard is that it has become cheaper to produce uh, yeah, yeah. After Effects than it used to be. So mm-hmm. now, uh, in terms of just cost effectiveness, hiring 
like a top tier expert who does like really good uh, makeup effects or who does really good like uh, bullet work or explosions or things like that. It's just become more expensive to bring in those kind of people to do it right mm -hmm. uh, versus having it just done in uh, post-production. Yeah, it's, 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 it's lazy to me, you know, and that's, that's a part of the, when I grew up and the thing, you know, I grew up with Tom Zavini, the, the incredibleness that he is still. Um, but I mean, it's not, and it's not every, everything I thought I'll just, we, uh, mentioned that movie, the watcher, you know, there was really good practical effects in that film when it got gory. I thought that was really nice. Um, simple so, stuff though it's like they didn't overthink it in that regard like they're, yeah, yeah. they're like what can we show what can we get away with exactly what, what, what can, can we show? imply mm -hmm. and so that's that's speaks more to like the care of uh the filmmaker and the team that he has around exactly. him yeah. where it's like the scene with the bag and the train right um that's something where it's like they obviously had to make like a cast of a head or something shaped very similar to it and just kind of keep it, you know, it's it's implied that there's a head in that bag. You don't actually see a head, but they, they had oh, to yeah, cast yeah. something like some kind of mannequin or something like that. But the, the ingenuity and the foresight to know like, hey, we don't have the budget to hire a makeup guy to make a quality looking fake head. Yes. So yes. what we want to do is like scare you with you envisioning the head yourself yeah, perfect yeah it's like it's actually like what real like horror filmmaking should be is that it's yes. more about yeah. the anticipation of what you're imagining than the shock value of what you're showing me mm -hmm. and uh this this movie did a really good job of that with the with the you know there wasn't a straight close-up because even even you know i love practical but there can be bad practical effects as well if you can't get the shot don't take the shot and they do in this film there's no like gory close-up of the guy's throat that he ripped out it's kind of far away and it's kind of man that i think i saw what i saw is what i saw that was pretty gruesome and moves on so this, this film did a really good job yeah and they, I, i'm sorry if my dog tries to get in the camera and she's <laughs> oh no that's fine I'm, su I'm surprised my dog hasn't started barking at something random in the it's background just, at this point already it's just trying to get uh, my attention no we're do we're dog friendly here um yeah, yeah. i was gonna say was they they dropped that clue of like the the rumor that when he actually killed somebody he ripped their throat out so that yeah, when yeah. it happens in the movie you don't really have to ask too many questions it's like mm -hmm. oh he he did the thing that he became famous for yeah. amongst this world so it's like okay yeah you know he ripped his throat out um yeah and speaking of that i'm gonna we're gonna jump to the the very end of the movie here where he restrains from throat ripping <laughs> more good practical effects with the gunshots and stuff very much so mm -hmm. turn that down a little bit <laughs> oh, a hitchcock type score going on yeah the music's excellent but we'll come back yeah. to that after this scene is over okay fine i won't kill you <laughs> see what happens when he does it yep again this bad situational awareness he knows that gun is there yeah bam so that's you know, nowadays that might be probably done with cgi yeah that, that explosion look at that's like center mass though right to the chest he took yeah. that one like a champ <laughs> 
Is that's two massive? That's three. He's still standing. <laughs> that's it. This is hard. <laughs> nice. Nice. And it's it's like those gunshot wounds, man. That that stuff's that's realism. That's putting it. Even if it that isn't how it looks when someone gets shot. I, I mean, I don't. I've never shot anyone <laughs> other than with BBs. <laughs> but that. You know that's still in that space with that actor and with that character, so it's not out of the realm of possibility in that space. Yeah, even and it's everybody does it now. Even Scorsese and The Irishman, which I love, there's a scene where someone gets assassinated, I think, and the the bullet hits them, and it's like CGI blood flies, and, and so it's and no one, you know, it, everyone's starting to use it when they can or try it out. Yeah, but in I love that scene because it, mm-hmm. it kind of like. I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm a Terminator fan and yeah, yeah. kind of like had some of the, the T-1000 moments there uh, mm. where it's like everybody in this movie is tough. And I'm glad that they also made the villain tough because it's like he's got mm-hmm. his he's got his henchman, Dark Swayze, and <laughs> he could just very easily like, you know, sick him on the the physical side of things be like all right you just get him and deal with that and then i'll try and buy my way out of this with money or i'll try and cheat which he kind of does as well with the gun and he's got spears and stuff in there but i mean he he fights him like man to man and then takes four shotgun blasts to the chest before (laughs) going down so it, it it made him uh, a more menacing villain that it's like he really is this problem yeah. that's been haunting the town and like all mm-hmm. of the major players uh, and like business owners in the town yep. showed up showed up wielding shotguns to back Patrick <laughs> Swayze up on this uh, and we're more than happy to to assassinate this guy and uh, then the cops show up and they're all just like giggling about the, it yeah let's go put the guns <laughs> away and like we don't know what happened. <laughs> And then they, they giggle at the the, the fat guy. Uh-huh. They give <laughs> they him the chance. You want to you want to tell the right side of the story, or you want to <laughs> you want to tell him the truth? Yep. And then uh, yeah, I thought that was a great way to end it comedically, before the the scene with. The, sorry. Oh. No, that's Mar- okay. Marlo, you want to say hi? She can say hi. Come here. She's, come here, Marlo. Like I'm too shy to get she, she on wants, camera, She wants to I, play, is what it yeah. is. Like you try to, <laughs> she's. <laughs> I wish you could see this. She's so goofy. She's a Boston Terrier mixed with a miniature pit bull, and uh, it looks exactly like you would think that would look. But she's got the energy of a Boston Terrier with the strength of a miniature pit bull. Mm. So it's <laughs> she likes to play. Similar. My dog is a boxer pit bull mix as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she she's 11 now, but oh. She's still like I. I thought her energy would slow down a little bit by the time she hit like eight, but uh-huh. no, she's eleven and she's still just like a ball of energy. She's still got like crazy zoomies at the end of the day and <laughs> runs all over the house and you know. It, I mean, I'm glad that she's still in good health and everything. So yeah, that's, that's gonna no sh- no complaints. Uh, all right, so we we just watched the the climactic ending of the film. I think. <laughs> another part of the reason that I chose this movie is because it is getting remade and they just, I think it was just this week or the end of last week that they announced that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to star in the lead of the remake as an ex MMA fighter turned bouncer. So he already has maybe more of a backstory than Patrick Swayze's character did 
uh, heading into this movie. And they also, I learned today that uh, Conor McGregor, UFC fighter, is mm-hmm. going to be joining him in this film. So uh, that begs the question, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? Obviously, they're spending money. They're getting star power mm-hmm. to, to make this sellable. But what would you want to see from a remake of this that uh, is worth the time, effort, and money of remaking it in the first place? Um, I'll, I'll preface that by saying I'm not nostalgic. I, I'm, like, I actually don't really like things that try to bring back my child. Like I'm the guy who quit watching Stranger Things halfway through the second season because it was too much nostalgia. It just got in the way of the actual storytelling. But, uh, you know, so I'm never one for, uh, I want them to make a remake of this or I want them to reboot this or anything like that. Um, I, if you get the right people and just tell a good story, that's that's what a lot of remakes and reboots don't put their effort in. They don't put the effort in, just tell a good story. They, you can, I'm not, I don't care like if you call back to certain characters, I don't need any of that. It, it, just give me a, a good story. I think it's supposed to take place in Florida or something, which is different. So yeah. it's not going to the exact same setting. That's cool. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. He's I love him as an actor. Uh, I don't know much about McGregor, uh, apart from the memes and the, the walk he does. But uh, he's, he's a character, all right. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what they want to do with that. Yeah, is, is it, I don't, I don't know. Man. I, like, I, it's not something I'd be excited for. But because Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, I probably watch. Do we know who's directing it? I know who's right. The guy writing it wrote The Nice Guys. I know that much. Have they announced like a director or anything yet? Uh, Doug Lyman. I'm not familiar with who that is. Uh, he directed Swingers and. Oh, okay. What else? Uh. He directed Edge of Tomorrow, Ooh. Jumper, right, right, right. and the Firstborn Identity. So I mean, he's got the action chops. Yeah, yeah. That's he. That's give me a, a director who knows what they're doing. You know, not some first-time director. This is you know, thing we talked about. You know, have good fights. Um, and I think he's based basing it on a former UFC fighter. Will make it the fighting really good because. It's not fake martial arts like Patrick Swayze, so they'll bring more realism into it. Um, I don't need a love interest in a, in a movie about bar fighting, so don't put too much emphasis on that. Uh, just make the action really good. Like I can watch a, an action movie with hardly any storyline if you make the action scenes good, especially hand-to-hand combat. So really just give me good fight scenes. Some I. I guess I would like it to have some zippy one-liners like this one. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> I think that's a given. I mean, I don't think you're going to make this movie and be like, no, nah, we can't do one-liners. And, and that brings up, like, if you're going to call it Roadhouse and you want to bring in that crowd, you got to go for it. You can't play it safe. This movie, Roadhouse is considered to be, you know, misogynistic by a lot of people. And I can see that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so and that's not something that might fly today. So will they tone it down or be you put, will that get in the way of the writing or, you know, the dialogue? They, you know, I don't know, but I want to see them go for it. And I want to see, I want it to, I want it to offend somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope what I want to see is that it is at least 
rated R. Mm -hmm. So it can yeah. be the kind of product that it should be. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to have a bunch of gratuitous nudity or anything, but it should be able to like freely be the movie it wants without the restrictions of like, oh, we need to get this out to you know the 13 the and yeah, under the crowd. Point, point. Um, and so a lot of movies these days are handicapped by that, where it's like we don't want the R rating because it's going to limit our uh, scope and yeah. that's going to limit our box office take. And but there's there's precedents you know, now for it to to do well as a rated R fun like fun movie like Deadpool oh, started yeah. that like, you can make an R-rated movie and bring in and make you know make a lot of money off of it you just got to go for it definitely can so I'm hoping that that is the case mm -hmm. uh, I do trust Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. I like mm -hmm. Billy Magnuson in it um, and McGregor just got announced and they're going to create like a new character for him so mm -hmm. you know he could be the the dark Swayze character in this movie where he's the one that is, uh, I don't know if he's a good enough actor to like have that much of a role. But when you look back at the original roadhouse, it's like, this guy doesn't have to do much other than like true yeah. show up and then like fight and, you know, drop he, his, so, his so line about fucking guys in prison. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he can basically play a goon and then yeah. add some charisma to it because of, you know, who he is. is McGregor. Yeah. You could even write him as like something of a caricature of himself if it's oh, like yeah. they're they're yeah. at a nice upscale nightclub and he's this rich asshole but uh, can also fight or likes getting in fights. Whatever. I mean, McGregor yeah. actually has gotten in bar fights and stuff like that and <laughs> punched old men in the face. So it's like he's a good fit if you're looking for authenticity. Before I forget, though, I wanted to say Michael Kamen, who made the score for uh, the original Roadhouse and was... Mm -hmm uncredited also hmm. was the conductor and orchestrator on event horizon oh, he um did last action hero Le lethal weapon one two and three die hard one and two wow. hudson hawk so <laughs> like the music for roadhouse is like quintessential 80s action music mm -hmm. And it does a great job of carrying all of like the weaknesses. And like I said earlier about the pacing, like the the combination of the score and the pace which the story is told mm -hmm. really doesn't give you too much time to dwell on some of the maybe dumber aspects of the movie. You just we're gonna we're gonna move <laughs> right along. Don't worry about it. Like this action scene is right here and it's good and you'll just enjoy that and then we'll get on to the next thing. Yeah, uh, and it does falter when it when it slows down. Like there's the scene where Swayze is getting really emotional talking to Doc, Kelly Lynch's character. I, I yeah. he's that's not his acting is a little suspect there in my opinion. Oh. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like the movie is not designed to have that kind of dialogue in it. Yeah. There's a reason that like the one-liners work and like the kind of quippy comments mm. work and the very eccentric characters work. And that all works because it isn't this uh, like deep film that has this these like real human moments in it so much yeah. so when they tried to go there it's like okay you can obviously see like the weaknesses all around and maybe you know had it been uh had that been the emphasis and you give Swayze uh like time to work through that character like maybe that scene mm -hmm. makes sense yeah. but it's just like a placeholder to get to the next scene and to only reinforce something that we already know about his character anyway yes. yeah. Yeah. so it's you know it's redundant at that point and you could clip that and <laughs> it would be perfectly fine um yeah. give me more so, zippy one-liners 
zippy one-liners um okay does, so i think does a hobby horse have a wooden dick <laughs> i know that's a great one too right <laughs> pain don't hurt right a lot of talk about dicks in this movie for a movie with so many boobs it's like look we're gonna show a lot of boobs so we need to talk about a lot of dicks okay we, we need to balance this out uh, <laughs> um all right i think we covered everything uh that i wanted to cover for this and do you have any final thoughts on this before we uh, close the book on the first bad movies we love episode? Uh, no, like my, I guess the biggest point here is if you haven't seen a film like this, um, give things a try. Like, it, it, you know, don't believe everything that's that you're going to think exactly like these critics are going to think. You know, they have they have their reasons why they don't like something, or why something doesn't work for them. But just you know. Use your own judgment. Go, seek movies out here. I might do that more often. I'll go to Metacritic or something and look for something with a bad score, but it sounds like it might be in my alley. I'm going I'm to start trying things out like that. And I urge other people to do that too. You know, don't just take everyone's word for it that something is bad or something is great. You know, seek things out because this, this movie is still a blast to me. You know, I had a lot of fun with it, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I didn't expect to enjoy it that much, like in adulthood. I could see yeah, exactly. my adolescent self being like, yeah, there's bar fighting and mm -hmm. uh, like there's explosions. And like, I'm not even digging any deeper than that. At that point, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. on movies for guys who like movies. Of course, I'm going to like it. Yeah. Uh, but to come back to it now and to really like examine it with uh, a more trained eye and even like a microscopic lens on it to really mm -hmm. look for all the things that I would have said that here, this is what makes it a bad movie. Even doing that and taking notes during the movie, I never got to the conclusion that this is a bad movie. Right. Yeah, I, I, I picked up on a lot of stuff and I'm like, okay, a lot of this maybe doesn't make sense or doesn't work or isn't the best uh doesn't necessarily line up with the movie they're telling but even so i was like none of that uh is enough to swing the pendulum the other direction or uh unbalance the scales in the favor of it being bad like yes yeah. it can be maybe dumb at times but <laughs> it knows that it is though. it knows it, that it is That's it is trying key. to be funny a lot of times when there's over the top in one of the first big bar fights there's this goofy looking guy that's like giggling <laughs> like yeah. that is on purpose like this movie makes it is it is meta it knows how goofy it is and i recently went back and rewatched top gun get ready because i still haven't seen maverick yet and i like roadhouse way more than i like rewatching top gun so, I think know. that's fair, and I liked Top Gun a lot more when I was a kid, I think, just because yeah, of the plane yeah. stuff. Exactly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a fair sentiment. I watched them both recently uh, because the Maverick was coming out, and my girlfriend mm -hmm. had never seen the original Top Gun. I was like, so we have to watch it. And that was another one of those movies where I was like, this is a cult classic, but it's not necessarily, like, a great film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, But she was like, no, it's still good. Like, I enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, so it was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And I think both movies are good at being very self-aware yeah because yeah. one thing you don't want to do like as a filmmaker is be pretentious and like think your art is 
this the high art that maybe it isn't. <laughs> when so, you're making films based on these these topics, definitely. <laughs> exactly. So you need the right person in the director's chair, and you need yeah, the right yeah. person uh, penning the script. But yeah, they established all of their like their humor and their action very early mm-hmm. in this film, and. They, I mean, even the costuming is like these guys are all dressed <laughs> like they were drawn for a comic book <laughs> and showed up on screen. But I loved it. Um, yep. And it, it very clearly like indicates who's who. And even if there was no dialogue and you just like looked at a lineup of everybody, you could probably tell who the villains are and who the good guys are. Good point. So good point, yeah. fantastic job of costuming and yeah. just uh, being very conscious of how to tell the story with small cues mm-hmm. and like you said perfectly uh unpretentious and self-aware mm-hmm. so it's a good one if you've never yeah. seen roadhouse check it out don't listen to these 37 percenters out yeah. there um it's perfectly enjoyable yes it good, wouldn't good it, it wouldn't fly if it were released today this way but True. you know what who cares? It's 1989 in this world, and uh, I had a blast <laughs> with it. Um, before we go, why don't you tell us about your podcast? Since the last time I had you plug it was on something that I didn't even record, <laughs> and this is we did we did an episode last week. So why don't you uh, go ahead and tell us about that? Yeah, so I do a podcast called You, Me, and a Movie. Uh, you can get it on anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, but it is essentially just a friend-making endeavor that I recently started uh, just to meet new people, meet more people from different backgrounds, different walks of life who just enjoy talking about film or maybe just want to talk about a certain film. Maybe it's your favorite film. Maybe it's a film you hate and you want to get it off your chest. But I use that film that they cho- that my guest chooses to get to know them a little better and hopefully make friends in the process. So really it's... You know, it's, it's not a full-on critique of a film or anything anything like that. It's just, you you just bring me a film that you want to talk about. I'll, if I haven't seen it, I'll watch it. And I'll just find ways to incorporate that into our conversation to get to know you better. Uh, we did do an episode together. It was on the film Duel. It was a blast to watch. It was a blast to talk about. Uh, we got to know each other a little bit better. Uh, my newest episode will be out this Monday. Again, that's on any of your, your podcast listening uh, platforms uh, where I had a guest talk about The Awful Truth, which was a, from 1937. I think it was remade later, but this we had a blast talking about it. I had, I had never seen it. It was a blast. So uh, if, if you or anyone you know wants to be on an episode, just you can find me on Twitter at you, me, and a movie one. That's the number one. Uh, you can shoot me an email at you, me, and a movie pod at Gmail. Um, I'm also on Instagram at you, me, and a movie pod. But yeah. And you can find that podcast wherever you get your podcasts, you, me, and a movie. And that's on Twitter. It's you, me, and a movie, the number one. Yes, the number one. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, to anybody that is listening and enjoyed this conversation, check out Donald's podcast. The one that I did with him is not dissimilar from this really at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had a blast talking about Duel and that wasn't a bad movie that we were talking about. Um, but structurally, you know, I borrowed from that to, to set up what we were going to do here. And uh, I thank you for your input and uh, you're helping me frame this conversation and 
being the first guest on this show. So I, I loved it. Thank you for, for thinking of me when you wanted to start it. And it was very thoughtful. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you have a good night. Um, Sandy, man. Enjoy your thank, weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks to everybody uh, for listening. And I will uh, stop recording now. Roadhouse. Well, as you could probably hear, the audio fidelity was not quite where I liked it in that first episode, but the content was. So thank you once again to Donald for joining me on that inaugural episode, and thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you like the show, please tell somebody. But another good way to help is liking, subscribing, rating the podcast. That goes a long way as well. If there's a bad movie you love and you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach out to me at info at com or Bad Movies We Love, that's L-U-V, on Twitter. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and have fun no matter how you get your movies. <laughs>